0: Green Divas and Green Dudes come in many shades of green. Here to help you discover and celebrate your personal shade of green are hosts Green Diva Meg and Maxine Margot, veteran radio chicks who share important news about climate change and the plight of human existence, but somehow manage to make most of it fun and sexy using at least 50 shades of green. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to 50 Shades of Green Divas. I'm Green Diva Meg. I'm Green Diva Max. And we are thrilled that you've tuned in, turned on, clicked it, whatever.
1: Yeah, you know, there's so many things you can do these days. You can even, (laughs) why don't you tell Alexa? I want to hear 50 Shades of Green Divas. Yeah program it into.
0: See? Or Siri. Or somebody, Siri, yeah.
1: or Alexa, or whatever else, you know, <laughs> you might think. A large blow-up doll. I don't know.
2: <laughs> you know, anything's... Oh. Uh,
1: any, I, I don't know. You know, we... Oh. Hey, that's the diva part. We <laughs> have
0: so gone off the trail. I yeah, love it. Yeah, you know, we, we
1: do that all the time. It's okay.
0: Hey, before we go any further off the trail, I just want to shout out that we would really love it if you would find us on social media at 5050... Shades of GDS, 50 Shades of GDS at Twitter. Facebook is at Green Diva Meg and The Green Divas Radio Show. And we have at TM Shades of Green.
1: Right. We've got it all covered.
0: And at Green, The Green Divas also on Twitter and Instagram. And we love interacting with you all. So
1: interact, people. Interact.
0: And you know what? If you ever get confused, you can just go to
1: thegreendivas.com. Yeah, and then you'll find everything. Just saying. Yeah.
0: So today's show is pesticide madness.
1: And boy, is it madness.
0: And, and really, we're only going to scratch the surface. Even though the show may end up a little longer, we are barely scratching the surface of this enormous topic Huge problem. Let's just start with some fun science facts from Max.
1: First off, because we're talking about chemicals, ranch dressing, like ranch dressing, it contains titanium dioxide.
0: Right. Isn't that the stuff you put on your nose? Like sunscreen. Right. It's used
1: as sunscreen and paint for the same (laughs) reason, because it makes it appear whiter. Then we have the softening agent, L-cysteine, which is used in some bread, and it's made from human hair and duck feathers.
0: My question is, who discovered that those things would be appropriate for filler or whatever it is it's used for
1: i would say mad scientists right i like mean who, stay away
0: who, just try duck feathers next
1: i mean who who else would even you know <laughs> think to 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 talk about that it I doesn't mean you could
0: see how human hair could fall into accidental experimentation right because it's there right But can... duck feathers you got to think about
1: yeah well you know just think about pringles like what are they made of so pringles once had a lawsuit trying to prove that they weren't really potato chips <laughs> i i mean That's you know crazy could you talk. imagine That's crazy talk this this is a lawsuit you know and and it did you, you just you had um, you had a fun science fact about bees which... yes honey is made from nectar and bee vomit <laughs> uh i like
0: who knew i guess like they... i
1: i i can't even touch that or think about that or bee vomit
0: a little bulimic bees making our honey? That's I mean, not right. Well, poor first bees.
1: The poor bees are disappearing and now they're vomiting. I mean, I don't <laughs> know. Uh, and then we have, you know, the reason why peppers taste hot is because of a chemical compound called capsaicin, which bonds to your sensory nerves and tricks them into thinking your mouth is actually being burned. So it's kind of psychological, you know, this thing that's making you... It's
0: weird chemical warfare in our mouth. <laughs> What you're going to be hearing in the show today are a couple of different experts, an author, Carrie Gillum, Mm -hmm. who is a journalist and an investigative journalist who's really put herself on the line. Her book is Whitewash the Story of a Weed Killer, Cancer and the... Corruption of science. Right. It's- Stay tuned. You're going to hear from her. We talked to June Stoyer,
1: mm-hmm.
0: who uh, is from Organic View right. Radio Show, and she also has another radio shows about bees. Buzz. Uh ha ha, ha. <laughs> um, We pulled from one of the folks that we used to talk to for uh, Green Diva's Heart Wildlife. We did a couple of episodes with Lori Ann Bird which I thought was a really clever name for someone who works with the Center for Biological Diversity. Right. Anyway, she did a couple of really good uh, segments with us that we're going to draw some information from her about pesticide madness. So – Folks, there's a lot coming up. Stay tuned. Do you suffer
2: from allergies and chemical sensitivity? Then it's time to incorporate the EnviroClean system. Utilizing patented technology, the EnviroClean system safely and effectively neutralizes toxins without leaving behind harmful VOCs. From the solid and upholstered surfaces that surround us, to the clothes we wear, to the very air we breathe. EnviroCleanse provides personal environment protection for everyone. Use code GREENDIVAS to get 20% off site-wide at EnviroKLENZ.com.
0: So when we start to talk about bees and pollinators, one of my favorite quotes that I stumbled upon years ago when when doing an extensive article about bees... It's from Rudolf Steiner, and he says, When one stands before a hive of bees, one should say quite solemnly to oneself, By way of the hive, the whole cosmos enters man and makes him strong and able. But if you really think about that, Mm -hmm. and you think about what he's saying, is the opposite then, if bees are dying off and the hive is weakening, what does that make man strong and able? No, it's the opposite. It makes man st- weak and disabled. <laughs>
1: well, well, if the bees go away, within four years, man will go away. So yeah. if we don't do something to help this particular situation, and other pollinators as well, monarch butterflies, birds, bats, bats very integral part of... The life cycle. See,
0: I don't think people understand that we rely our agriculture system relies on bees and other pollinators. I mean, literally relies on it. So there are foods that would disappear rapidly if bees did. And and I just want to list a handful of them because I was shocked looking through this. Apples, mangoes, plums, peaches, coffee. No, Strawberries, onions, cashews, apricots, green beans, cherries, avocados. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Celery, cotton, lemons, figs, turnips, cauliflower, eggplant, cocoa. Oh, come on. Cocoa, no. Cocoa, right, you take coco- away coffee, cocoa.
3: Coffee and
1: chocolate? I, 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 I don't know it. what to do when I... I would not know what to do with myself. I'm it's out. Coffee and, and chocolate. And well, you oath. could see
0: why um, humanity would disappear pretty quickly just without those few items I mentioned. And there's many, many more. Oh,
1: yes. It's, 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 it's serious. Stuff. Very horrible stuff, actually, when, you, when you're thinking about bees in relation to your food and, and how integral it is that we have these pollinators healthy and not collapsing.
0: So we talked to June Stoyer, who is a journalist and the executive producer of the Organic View radio show, host of Clean Energy View radio show, and the Neonicotinoid View. I talked to her a bit about the decline of bees and other pollinators.
2: I became concerned about the decline of the pollinator population actually because of work that I was doing in regards to monarch butterflies. I happen to be a master gardener and I was doing volunteer work for the county that I live in and I was collecting data on butterflies and I noticed that there was a decline in, in the butterfly population. So I started asking a lot of questions and I wasn't exactly getting any answers. So after I started reaching out to other beekeepers around the world about what their experiences were, a gentleman named Phil Chandler, who I just absolutely adore, he is an expert on top bar hive beekeeping. He told me about a scientist that was doing research on a family of pesticides called neonicotinoids. And yeah, that is a mouthful to pronounce that particular word, but, um, and I did struggle with it. <laughs> There's depending upon which side of the pond you're on, they'll say neonicotinoids, but I was fascinated by his research and his name is Dr. Hank Tenekes and he's from the Netherlands. And his research showed that the problem that is occurring with the bees is due to the widespread use of this family of pesticides. And what it boils down to is, put it in very blunt terms, either it's applied as a seed treatment, which is it's, it's basically the companion technology to GMOs, or it's applied as a foliar treatment. So the plant is sprayed and the chemical is absorbed by the plant's vascular system. So what happens is is that the honeybee is just doing its thing, you know, collecting the pollen, collecting the water and unfortunately these chemicals that's how it's coming into contact with the honeybee. So that was really eye-opening and I knew that it was something that was either in the air in the soil uh, with within agriculture but I wasn't sure what and after reviewing his research it just really made perfect sense. And this is a scientist that's very well respected. What was horrifying was the sublethal effects, which consists of the fact that it's mobile in groundwater. So if you think about this, these chemicals are ubiquitous. You know, Once they're applied, they're in the water and we need water to survive. And especially with bees, they're an indicator species. So what happens to them inevitably will happen to us.
0: You probably already know this, but not just bees and pollinators are being affected by our ever-growing toxic pesticide problem. Humans are now being born pre-polluted <laughs> with pesticides already in their system.
1: Pre-polluted. Pre-polluted babies. That, What's up with that? That's a new. That's a new word in the in the Merriam-Webster dictionary. Yeah, who
0: needs to, who needs that? We right? don't.
1: We don't need that. We don't need, we don't need babies born that no. are that have toxic levels of pesticides because of what we're eating it's 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 pretty insane actually
0: one of the things we stumbled upon in in doing this episode is the detox project is working alongside uh the kudzu science i don't know what that is exactly Uh, but they're coming up with a pesticide test to tell us exactly how polluted our bodies are through our
4: hair
1: right it's like hair testing's been you know used for forensic science for decades, and now this is this is going to bring expertise to uh the pesticide you know testing world they'll be able to use your hair to to see it'll show the exposure to pesticides over ninety to one hundred and twenty days, whereas when they do urine test exposure it's only fourteen to twenty one days right so this gives like a really big a, a longer span to and, check and
0: frankly i was thinking it would be cool for one of us to do this mm-hmm. just before this episode to, to do the. and i actually just freaked out and i was like no yeah i don't no, wanna, I I don't. Wanna, wanna, I, don't I don't know, know
1: i don't want to know the millions of <laughs> no. things i mean uh, and now the these this hair testing can now be used by ngos and government regulators and the public to as a new tool
0: well i think it's got value it yeah. really does so segue here the question is, what can we do about this? Now, there's, it's such a big topic, right? Mm-hmm. But one of the things we can do is get educated. There's so much information. So much of it is uh, kind of questionable, right? There's a, lot of, there's a lot of wacky folks out there, some conspiracy theorists. And, and there are also some really credible sources. And this woman we got a chance to speak to, Carrie Gillum, a former senior correspondent for Reuters. Uh, She has 25 years of experience covering food and agriculture, and she wrote a book called Whitewash, the Story of a Weed Killer, Cancer,
1: and the Corruption of Science.
0: This is what we should all become more educated about.
1: Right, because the, the weed killer she's talking about, she'll talk about it when you hear the clip, is Roundup, which is used on everything. Yeah, glyphosate. You, glyphosate. It's on your your lawns. It's on your food. It, it's well. The thing it's is, it's everywhere. Even
0: if you don't use it, your neighbors are using it. Your town's probably using it. It's into the ground. It's getting into the ground and water, the air. And the aquifers. Right. Please oh. stop. And
1: when they're blowing the leaves, oh. they're blowing the roundup. Anyway, and-
0: so let's listen to Carrie.
4: <laughs> so I've been working on this really since the mid-1990s. I uh, was assigned by Reuters to start covering food and agriculture uh, in Kansas City, and, you know, at that time, Monsanto had just rolled out genetically engineered crops. And uh, it was a really important company and really important technology that was changing, you know, agriculture and the way we produce our food. So it was my job as a correspondent for this international news agency to learn everything I could right about Monsanto, the the crops, the chemicals used on them, Monsanto's competition, Dow and DuPont and the others and the implications, you know, not only for farming, um, but for you know, food and, and food production and health uh, of both of people and the environment. Glyphosate is is an herbicide. You know, it's a substance, a compound that has been found to be incredibly effective, or it used to be incredibly effective at killing a broad range of weeds uh, that were very problematic that weren't easily killed by other herbicides. And Monsanto really developed and discovered and patented this. Uh, in 1974, brought it to market in 1974 uh, as the chief ingredient in its, you know, branded products like Roundup. Everybody knows Roundup, right? We spray it in our yards and around our gardens and it's on golf courses, children's playgrounds and parks and, of course, farmers, you know, in their farm fields. And uh, as I said, it was embraced. Uh, Monsanto marketed It as much safer than other herbicides that were on the market, uh, much safer for the environment, much safer for humans uh, and and wildlife. Was really heralded as sort of a a miracle uh, brought to market uh, that would help, you know, help increase food production, help feed the world. Uh, This magical elixir that we could use around the world and all would be well. When Monsanto's patent was due to expire in the year two thousand. And that's when Monsanto, of course, in the mid-1990s, we saw them rolling out these genetically engineered crops. These crops were designed not to yield more, you know, to feed more people or be more nutritious or uh, be hardier and fight off disease. They were designed to be sprayed directly with Roundup and and not die. So that farmers, and it made it a lot easier for farmers because they could then go into their fields, weeds were sprouting up, and they could just spray the whole field. And the weeds would die. And the soybeans wouldn't, or the corn, or the canola, or whatever they were spraying. (laughs) And what this did, and farmers, of course, at the time were like, wow, love it, right? And what this did is it spiked glyphosate use just off the charts. And that then, in turn, I mean, this is the long story. So that, in turn, caused weeds over time to become resistant, because so much of this stuff was being poured on them. And so natural evolution, the weeds became resistant. The farmers sprayed more and more. Weeds became more resistant. you know, And we had this vicious cycle, which for all of us, what it means, why we care, I guess, is because it means more and more residues of this weed killer in our food that we're eating. (laughs) This is where we are today with this pesticide treadmill where we're now, the weeds are so resistant, we've now combined glyphosate with uh, things like dicamba and 2,4-D, which are products that are known to be toxic as well. We're combining those and spraying those on new genetically engineered crops to tolerate all three of these pesticides. So, you know, it's great for the chemical companies. They're raking in the dollars. I'm not sure it's so great for the rest of us who are eating the food with the residues of these chemicals on them.
1: Well, you know, there are... lot of things out there we need to be concerned with uh with crops uh, gmo crops which are genetically modified crops and they have pesticides that get sprayed on them and then they kind of become zombie crops because they're like the zombies they become immune to this particular pesticide and they kind of take a life of their own The, the soy the wheat you know the corn it's like children of the corn with with these pesticides on them and the seeds. Everything is being genetically modified. They have, again, these high doses of toxic pesticides and herbicides. And we're ingesting them in our food. And we're feeding them to our children. Well, the crazy stuff is that these GMOs,
0: the the genetically modified organisms, the seeds, genetically engineered seeds... Are specifically designed to take on heavy, heavy doses of these pesticides and survive. It's just this vicious cycle. So I had a chance to speak to Lori Ann Bird, who's the Environmental Health Program Director and Staff Attorney for the Center for Biological Diversity. Let's listen to her talk about this correlation between genetic engineering and pesticides and herbicides.
3: So genetically engineered crops are, are crops grown from seeds that have been genetically engineered, which means the cell barrier has been broken in order to create the new a new organism. A lot of people say, "Well, we've been engineering crops for millennia," which is true. We corn used to be a weed called teosinte, and we bred it, and we bred it, and bred it, and now we have you know delicious sweet corn with these fat, uh, <laughs> yummy kernels. So. It's very different from traditional breeding in that it, you know, happens in a laboratory and (laughs) involves the crossing of a cell barrier. One thing that's really important to understand is that we're always hearing from industry that genetic engineering and genetically engineered crops are essential to feed a hungry world. They're necessary in our fight to survive in an era of climate change. GE crops will be drought resistant. They'll... um, help people overcome nutritional deficiencies and all these things and it might be true that somewhere in labs these kinds of crops might be being developed but the reality on the ground is that five out of six acres of GE crops, 84% actually, of GE crops grown worldwide are engineered for herbicide tolerance. Mm -hmm. Herbicide tolerance meat is a nice way to say that this crop can withstand being drenched with herbicides. Mm -hmm.
0: So, the European Union is now banning all neonicotinoids and other insect-harmful treatments. And, you know, the UK was kind of dragging their heels, but this week, in fact, which happens to be November 9th, 2017, Mm -hmm. they finally got on board because they became convinced reading some of the most recent research, which is mind blowing actually one of the one of the revelations that came out recently that helped change the u k guys whoever's in charge of this well, it's in the, the, UK. Buyer,
1: it's the it's the uh the environment secretary his name is michael Michael gove thank you and uh, he 's the one who uh basically said and i 'll just quote it because i this is directly from that the guardian article uh the weight of evidence now shows the risks of neonicotinoids posed to our environment, particularly to the bees and other pollinators, which plays such a key part in our 100 billion euro food industry, is greater than previously understood. I believe, he said, that this justifies further restrictions on their use. We cannot afford to put our pollinator population at risk, But interestingly enough, he didn't really use the word health problem. He was talking about it in terms of the food industry. You know, okay.
0: Well, here's one of the statistics that I think threw him over the edge, according to this Guardian article, the Guardian article, was that 75% of all flying insects have disappeared in Germany. Like, what? Wait, what? Like, on the surface of things, it makes me happy because I don't love flying insects in my airspace, but... The reality
1: is we need them, whether they're annoying or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that, that's, that's a remarkable uh, statistic, by the way. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine if 75% of all the flying insects disappeared here? I mean, again, people would go, great, we don't need a fly swatter, but hell, you won't be eating. Right, <laughs> right,
0: right, right. There'll be no
1: food. Don't worry about it.
0: So we talked already about one way to to learn and to have an impact on this is to educate yourself, Right find some credible sources. We gave you one. The other thing you can do is start supporting organic agriculture by organic people, by local, if you can, organic, partially because that supports the farmers. It creates more of a demand and organic farmers are using generally uh, more sustainable farming systems that are mindful of, well, just by nature, organic farms don't harm bees because they're not, Uh, you know, using all of the pesticides
1: and toxic chemicals. No zombie crops.
0: No zombie crops. Although Mm -hmm. there's drifting. There's all kinds of weird stuff going on. Drifting
1: happens, and that's a problem.
0: So every year, Environmental Working Group, also known as EWG, affectionately, Mm -hmm. we reference them a lot for good reason because they do a lot of homework for us. And every year they test organic versus conventionally grown fruits and vegetables for pesticide levels. And they offer us this report annually, cleverly known as the Dirty Dozen and the right. Clean Fifteen. And what they do is they tell you what the top dozen fruits and vegetables that are really heavily laden with toxic pesticides and chemicals. And then they give you the top 15 that are okay of conventional, you know. Uh, so in other words, like if you, if you can't afford or you can't find organic Whatever you're looking for. Maybe it's on the Clean 15. It's not so bad.
1: Yeah, which is some of them are avocados, pineapples, cabbage, onions, sweet peas, frozen asparagus and mangoes. And there's a couple on there, sweet corn and papayas, but they have an asterisk. Yeah, because because they're they're GMO. Because small amounts of them could be genetically modified, and we buy them here in the States. (laughs) And there's, you know, so they have the, the dirty dozen and then the, you know. Which... So the
0: dirty dozen are like the ones you really don't want to eat. Right. And, and they've, they've, the head of the list has been peaches in the past or they, strawberries. Strawberries is, so is, is
1: and spinach. And those are the two winners this year. Yeah. Strawberries. But there's
0: a new one on the list this year. You, like, yeah. oh.
1: Well, on the 12, the dirty dozen 12, there's a plus one. A plus one? And what is the plus one this year? Hot peppers, baby. Damn. And, you know, we love hot peppers. We love hot sauce. And we love hot things. And I love hot things. And I'm dedicating this to my son, who's like a hot. One hot kid. Hot chili pepper. The kid is a hot chili pepper. It (laughs) it really is. So, you know, looking through this, um, we kind of have this part of the show called WTF. This is kind (laughs) of... This is our WTF moment. This is the WTF moment as it relates since it's, you know, hot peppers are involved. There There was an article in Popular Mechanics. And the title of the article which grabbed my attention was, We ate the world's spiciest chip, cried for 45 minutes then wrote this article about it, okay? And then the story is written by Kendra Pierre-Louis, and the chip was eaten by Billy Caden, who's the editor, one of the editors at PopSci. This is the backstory. The Butte Jolokia, an Indian chili known as the ghost pepper, became the first to top a million on the Scoville Heat unit, the measure of spice pain. There's a measure of spice pain, okay?
3: (laughs) Uh, uh,
1: uh, Also known as an SHU. Right, exactly. An SHU, it should really be an (laughs) S-F-U. But so this company called the Texas Tortilla Chip Company, Pocky actually, uh, produces the chip called the Carolina Reaper, which uses the Carolina Reaper hot pepper, which comes in at 2.2 million SHU, and the ghost pepper, which comes in at 1 million SHU. The chip registers 1.922 SHU, which is a Guinness record. So this editor ate this chip, and it's sold as a single chip, and it's a limited edition... (laughs) In it the it sold as a single chip as a limited edition in a red box shaped like a coffin. A great gift for someone you really love. Uh-huh. Uh, perhaps we could put the chip in a Doritos bag and give it to the Cheeto in Chief. I don't That's know. That's funny. Maybe That's that funny. Maybe, maybe 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 that'll do something to get him out of office. And anyway, so Billy, who was the, the guinea pig, he felt a burning in his mouth which which lasted an hour and was he was still feeling it several hours later. He was able to track his digestion, and it didn't go away for a really long time. Oh. So it's kind of unique to humans to want to feel pain. It's called benign masochism. Equals glad to be sad. Why do we want to do this? Other animals do not want to exhibit that pain, but us humans, we're crazy. Actually, heed the warning of the uh, the EWG about hot peppers, and especially now uh, the you can organic ones the non organic ones um, that have many toxic properties. If you want to be crazy enough to get that uh, Texas tortilla chip from Pocky, uh, that would be a real interesting gift for the holidays.
0: So, wrapping up this show, we thought we would just read a couple of. Relevant quotes and leave you with these thoughts. This one from Joel Salatin, American farmer, lecturer, and author whose books include Folks, This Ain't Normal, You Can Farm, and Salad Bar Beef. Land degradation didn't start with chemical agriculture, but chemical agriculture offered new tools for annihilation. Dun, dun, dun,
1: dun. Da, 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 da. <laughs> okay. Well, well, this is by uh, Wendell Berry, uh, Bringing It to the Table on Farming and Food. Good farmers who take seriously their duties as stewards of creation and of their land's inheritors contribute to the welfare of society in more ways than society usually acknowledges or even knows. These farmers produce valuable goods, of course, but they also conserve soil, they conserve water, they conserve wildlife, they conserve open space. They conserve scenery.
0: There you have it, folks. You've been listening to the Fifty Shades of Green, a collaborative gig between the Green Divas and the Many Shades of Green radio shows, happily recorded at Green Diva Studio. Be sure to look for this and other Green Diva Network podcasts and The Many Shades of Green on iHeartRadio, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spreaker, and Stitcher, among other places. You can find more information about this show and much more on thegreendivas.com.